Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. We'll jump right into it. Most gracious Father, again, we thank you. Uh, just for the privilege, the honour, the blessing it is to live in Perth, Western Australia. Not a perfect place, but gee, it's pretty good, Lord. And so we want to give you all thanks and gratitude for that, Lord. We pray right now as we come and listen uh, to your word, your spirit, uh, as we know, you, you minister to us through your word, Father. And so, Lord, we want to be receptive and hearing and listening. May you illuminate it, open our hearts and minds to everything you have to share with us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can anyone tell me the name of this uh, ship up on the screen? There it is, the Titanic, very good, uh, in Bibber Lake there, uh, before its first maiden voyage. We all know the, the story of the Titanic, this big boat, super boat, um, first trip, it uh, sunk. We've all seen the movie, um, it, uh, incredible story. But I don't know if you knew that actually, the very uh, when this, the, the, the Titanic sunk, there were actually two other ships that came to its rescue. This ship here, the next ship here, is called the California. Uh, and this ship here was, was only 20 miles away from where the Titanic actually sunk. When the Titanic hit the iceberg, this ship was only 20 nautical miles. Are nautical miles the same as normal miles? It sounds better, eh? 20 nautical miles, so as the same as 20 land miles, away from the Titanic was the ship. Now, the difference is uh, very, very interesting. Why did not the Californian go to where the Titanic sunk and could have maybe rescued the thousands of people who, who drowned that night? Well, just before the Titanic sunk, the, the story goes like this, uh, that the Californian actually did see icebergs and saw that there were quite a lot of icebergs around, and they decided to stop in fact, they decided to stop and shut everything down and actually turn off their radio. The captain went to uh, sleep for the night, was in bed, um, and, and then uh, about 10 minutes after they turned their radio off, the Titanic hit the iceberg and began to take on water, and obviously they put out a, a mayday call and uh, the California couldn't hear anything. Now, some of the sailors on the boat could actually see the lights of the Titanic and saw some of the flares, and they were a bit confused. I don't know if they were celebrating Chinese New Year or whatever, but they, they didn't do anything about it. They thought, we can't wake up the captain, he's asleep, so they all went to bed. End of story. Isn't that crazy? Now, they ended up, obviously, the next day waking up, turning the radio on, finding out that the Titanic had gone down, and then they rushed over to see what they could do, but obviously it was too late. Then this next boat, does anyone know the, the name of the, the second boat that was involved in the Titanic rescue? Anyone? Come on. I'll give you half the offering if you can guess the name of the boat. The Huh? Yes. Carpathian. Uh, very good. Who said that? I'll take that offering thing back. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. You didn't get it inside the time frame. Carpathium. <laughs> this is the boat here, the Carpathium. Now, this was 58 miles away, so a lot further away. 
And this boat was, was, was different because it wasn't in maintenance mode. It hadn't turned the lights off, hadn't turned the engines off. The radio was on. It was fully uh, working and, and it was on a mission to get wherever it was going. So when the call came through, the soldiers, uh, soldiers, the sailors responded, the sailors reacted, and they had to turn their ship away around and head towards the Titanic. And so for 58 miles away, for three and a half hours, they navigated through the icebergs, because there were icebergs around, to get to where the Titanic was. Three and a half hours later, they arrived at the Titanic, arrived at the scene, and it was absolute disaster, obviously. But the fact that they did get there, they could rescue another 705 people from the freezing waters. So two different boats, the Carpathian here and the Californian. The Carpathian was in mission mode, fully operational. Everyone was focused, knew what they were doing, whereas the Californian had turned the lights off. The lights are off and no one was home. Um, they were all sleeping, yet they were so close. People around them were literally drowning. People around them were literally drowning. In fact, they could have, they could have saved so many lives if they were awake and ready and were in mission mode. Carpathian mission mode. Californian maintenance mode. When we look at the words of Jesus, and especially as we've been working through this series, uh, we, we see uh, even in the life of Jesus and the call to the church is do not be in maintenance mode, but be in mission mode. Jesus calls us to always be in mission mode, no matter what our circumstances, no matter what's happening around us, that we as the church individually and collectively need to be in mission mode that there are people around us who are drowning, that we can't just turn off the lights, that we can't just go to bed and fall into maintenance mode, but we need to be mission-driven. We need to be in mission mode. We are called to mission, not maintenance. We are called to mission, not maintenance. Look at this post here, a quote here by an American pastor in regards to the mission of the church. And this is what he writes. He writes, the mission of the church comes directly from the command of Jesus, who after his resurrection and just prior to his ascension said, go therefore. See, even that, that going aspect, it's, it's, it's raiding out outwards. There's movement. There's movement. There's no maintenance, no sleeping. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus speaks of going, evangelizing, making disciples and planting churches that plant churches to continue the process. Therefore, look at this as a, as a goal. The mission of the church is nothing less than bringing the entire world uh, to Christian faith and maturity. And I love that last line, the, the, the mission of the church is nothing less than bringing the entire world to Christian faith and maturity. And we see that start in this passage, that very first uh, time that Jesus went and he, and he chose those first disciples and he says, come follow me, come follow me. That, that command to come follow is a command of not maintenance, come follow me and we will maintain the status quo, Jesus doesn't say that. Come follow me and we've, we've got a mission. We are on mission. What is the mission? Bringing the entire world uh, to, to Christian faith and maturity. And here's the danger. That over the, over the years, the church, 
There's been times where the church grabs that mission mode. But there are times when the church slips into maintenance mode. Look at this quote here by Paul Harvey. He writes, we've drifted away from being fishers of men to being keepers of the aquarium. Do you know what he's saying there? He's saying that we've drift, drifted from this first instruction to follow. Jesus says, follow me, mission mode. I will make you fishers of men. What is the mission? To make fishers, to, to catch people, to rescue people. Jesus is there with us. We, we sometimes drift away from that and we look after the aquarium. What is the aquarium? The church. And we make sure the inside the aquarium, I'm looking at a whole heap of fish right now. Uh, we make sure the aquarium is at the right temperature. We make sure everything is clean and we're eating the right food. And, and, and so we focus so much on the aquarium. He's obviously never been at my house. We used to have fish and my aquarium was the fish died. So, so, but, but that's what we do. We focus on the, the aquarium. We become keepers of the aquarium instead of fishers of men. And so this morning, as we wrap up this series of, of, of follow me, of being a disciple of Jesus, we bring it all together with this, this statement of fishers of men or fishers of people, that you will now fish for people. I will, I will show you how to catch People. Let's have a look at the, the passage one more time uh, as we wrap up this series. Mark chapter 1, verse 16 to 18, the words of Jesus. As Jesus walks beside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. That's what fishermen did. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Very simple. Two powerful, two powerful verses. Jesus says, follow me. They respond. The purpose of following is to what? To be fishers of men. Now, just to catch you up to speed, the first week we looked at the fact that there was a confidence in the invitation. The orange bit there, Jesus confidently says, come follow me. Jesus doesn't say, oh, if you want to, if you've got nothing else to do, if you're not going to watch Home and Away tonight, come, come, we, we, we'll see what happens. He says, come follow me. There's a confidence in the invitation. What does the confidence in the invitation mean? You are trusted. That God trusts you. That Jesus trusts you. God trusts us. God trusts us humanity, even though we are not trustworthy. We've demonstrated that time and time again, yet God still trusts us. We see that through the history, of, through the scriptures, but all through, through the church. So the first thing, the invitation is a confidence God trusts us. The second thing we see is the new method. What is the new method of, of knowing God or following God? It is actually all around trust, that Jesus trusts us, but to follow the new method means to trust Jesus, trust him with our past with our present and with our future. In fact, the only way to know this Jesus is through tr trust. It's not about how many rules and regulations you can keep and what you wear and what type of food you can eat and how good you are or whether you come to church on time or whether you put... No, it's about having faith, trusting Jesus with my past, my present and my future. And then last week we saw that actually there was a new classroom. Not only was there a new method of following God, there was a new classroom. And what was the classroom? The classroom was just the day-to-day -day walking with Jesus. 
that we're actually called to walk with Jesus. Yes, Jesus has miracles. Yes, he does some incredible things. But the, the, the main routine of a Christian is the monotony, day-to-day walking with Jesus, side by side. We walk one step at a time with Jesus. And so this morning, though, we see the new catch. What is the new catch? Hands up if you like fishing, firstly. Keep your hands up if you're good at fishing. A dramatic drop in hands. Jess, okay, we're coming to your house tonight. You're going to catch fish for everyone. Okay, fish and chips. But, but what is the new catch? He says there we are called to fish. It's a mission. The new catch is that we will catch people. Jesus said that you uh, were, were catching a fish, but now you're going to catch people. You walk with me, you trust me, I trust you. I'm going to show you how to catch people. Why? Because that is the mission. Now, I'm sure if they were doctors, he would have said, I want to make you healers of of broken lives. If they were were carpenters, he would say, I'm going to make you builders of the kingdom. If they were gardeners, I'm going to make you growers of of the the kingdom. Because they're fishermen, he uses this analogy or this metaphor, I'll make you fish. You're going to be catching people. It's not about cleaning the aquarium. We're opening the invitation to everyone. We're actively catching people. Alan Hirsch, I don't know if you heard of him, he's an Australian missiologist, he's a cool looking dude, looks like he could be a barista, he's got nice hair and a ponytail and glasses, I think he's got an arm tat as well. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with this quote, but he says this, every Christian is, is sent, every Christian is a sent one. What does he mean by that? Every Christian is called to be fishers of people. He says there is no such thing as an unsent Christian. There's no such thing as a Christian who, who just sits and, and doesn't radiate out. The call to follow Jesus is a call to be a fisher of people, to be sent. And so this morning, as we wrap up this series, we're going to take a look at this, this Mark chapter 1 story in a different gospel. The gospel of Luke, Luke portrays this a little bit different. He gives us a little bit more information. Mark is more matter of the fact. He just keeps kind of moving through, you know, the bullet point version, uh, whereas Luke gives us a little bit more detail. So we're going to look at this story from Luke. We're going to pick up two points, and then we're going to focus on the main point at the end. So let's have a look. Luke chapter 5, this is the same encounter that Mark has recorded, but he brings a lot more information this is what he says. He says this, on uh, uh, one day as Jesus was standing the same lake, it's just referred to here as a different name, but it's the Sea of Galilee, uh, with, the, with people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So in Luke's account, we, in Mark's account, there's no one there, but in Luke's account, there's a group of people. Now, they may have moved on. That's why Mark doesn't record them. But Luke says there's a, there's a bunch of people, they're listening to Jesus talk about God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Just making sure it's the same translation. Yes, it is. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to uh, put out a little from the shore, to push him out from the little shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. 
Now, interesting, some scholars say the reason he hopped on the boat was maybe to, to push away and so he could kind of preach to the, the, the congregation. Some have said actually that, that sound travels faster or further on water. And so maybe as he, if he's off into the water, he could preach and people could hear because it kind of amplified it. Regardless, Jesus is out in the boat and people are listening on the shore as he shares and he teaches and, and he preaches. Then in verse 4, it says, uh, when he had finished speaking, now, did the people leave? We don't know. There may be some people there. They may all still be there. There may be a little remnants of uh, people kind of just hanging around. But when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, this is what Mark refers to, but he doesn't tell this interesting little side story. He said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Look at Simon's response. Now, what does Simon do for a living? He's a fisherman. He's a very good fisherman. He's got people working for him. He's got more than one boat. He knows what he's doing. Okay? He knows what he's doing. He, he, he's, he's quality. It's nothing worse than when someone, and maybe you're an expert, an accountant or a doctor or, 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 or some kind of trade, and, and someone who has no idea, I saw on a YouTube clip, and they think they know more than you. Have you experienced that? You know, that if you have it and you're like, oh, I only went to uni for seven years, I've been doing this 15, but you watch a two-minute YouTube clip, you go for it. Cut the leg off, it's fine. <laughs> That's probably what Simon's thinking. I've been doing this my whole life. You're not a fisherman, you're a rabbi. In fact, you're actually a carpenter who's now become a rabbi. All right, and you're telling me how to fish. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night but haven't caught anything. And actually, catching fish in the Sea of Galilee, if you're fishing late at night, you would, you would fish closer to the shore, in the shallow water. That's where the fish would. He's like, he didn't say that. He's probably saying, oh, Jesus, gee, don't you know? It's closer to the shore. But you're Jesus. He says, I'll do what you say. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So he responds in obedience. I don't know what, I'd love to know what he was thinking, but he responds in obedience. Verse 6, it says, When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. That is a lot of fish. If you've ever caught one fish, you know what it's like, that feeling of, of the little trumpeter on the end of your line. You know what that feels like. Imagine having nets full of fish and it's, the nets are going to break. So they signaled their, to their partners in, in the other boat, come, come, come and help. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. That is a lot of fish. So in this story, Jesus tells them to drop their nets out in the, shallow, out in the deeper water, which you don't do at that time of the night. They do it and they pull in these two massive boatloads of fish. So let's, there's two things we can get from this before we even move into the whole aspect of being fishers of people. And the first thing is this. This is a deep theological point with deep theological words. Sometimes the follow me of Jesus may mean doing things that might look stupid. Peter, how do you say stupid in the Greek? Duh. Duh. <laughs> it's a beautiful Greek word. It's a beautiful Greek word. Duh means stupid that are countercultural. 
So sometimes the follow me, when Jesus said follow me, he's calling you to do something that may look stupid to the culture or the world or the community that we live in, that it goes against the cultural norms and therefore they deem it as looking stupid, marching to a different drumbeat. Jesus, we don't go out into the deep water. There probably are people on the shore. Look at these fishermen, idiots, Calus and brothers. They'll never, Cicerellos is way better. Why are they going out there? But they did. And sometimes when you uh, obey the, the follow me of Jesus, he may be calling you to look stupid. He may be calling you to do something that is countercultural. It means marching to a different drumbeat. Remember the story of, of Jesus healing the blind man. There's this blind man near the pool of Solomay or one of those pools. And, and, and he, I don't know if he was uh, blind from birth. I think he was. He, which, he was completely blind, so he couldn't see anything. And, and he, he goes to get healed by Jesus. And Jesus could just go, and, he, and your eyes, boom, you can see, 20-20 vision. Okay? He could have done that right there. But what does Jesus do? It's the weirdest story. Can you remember it? He kneels down and he, he gets a big goober spit and purr into the ground like like yuck spit and lucky there was no COVID he spits into the ground he mixes it up in the mud but what are you doing with this Jesus lucky this guy was blind because if he saw it he would have just been out of there surely and he gets the spitty mud and he puts it on this guy's eyes puts it on his eyes and then he says all right you need to go, go and wash it off in, the, in that pool over there. Now, I'm sure he had someone helping him. Oh, this guy's got spit mud dripping down his face. Now, we don't know why Jesus did that. Some people have said because he had a, I don't know, different reasons and the mud was symbolizing this. And, but, but who cares why? He did it. And, and I think about this guy. <laughs> he would have looked stupid walking to the back to the pool with mud and spit uh, rolling down his face and going into the pool washing. But then once he did it, whoa. He, he, he even had to have faith just to walk back because he obviously knew it was mud and he probably heard the... He's like, are you serious? But he followed the instructions of Jesus. He looked stupid. He looked absolutely stupid, but he follows the instructions of Jesus and then obviously he can see perfectly and wow. Sometimes following Jesus or the follow me or, or the call to follow means you will look stupid, countercultural. Now, some of us don't have to try too hard to look stupid, but, but stupid in the right way. When Jesus calls us to do things that go against the grain of our society, maybe love radically, maybe give radically, Maybe do stuff that is different. Even coming to church on a Sunday uh, in, in today's culture is looked at as being stupid. Why do you waste your time? Why? Because I follow Jesus. That's the call to follow Jesus. I'm going to make you look different I'm, uh, to stand out. Sometimes following Jesus is, is going to make you look different, make you stand out. Sometimes following Jesus means he may ask you to do things Again, that we might think are silly, that don't make sense. Jesus, this doesn't make sense. Why am I giving uh, my, my, my hard-earned money and putting in the offering? How does that make... What, you, everything's yours and you give it to me and then I'm supposed to give it back to you. It doesn't make sense, Jesus. It doesn't make sense to love my enemies, Jesus. Surely I'm allowed to get back at them. So, so all these things, 
Sometimes following Jesus means going to a pool with mud and spit on your face to wash it off. Sometimes following Jesus means you have to go out a little bit deeper, put your nets a little bit deeper. What is Jesus asking you to do today? Or maybe you've been struggling with that. Maybe you feel like your Christian lifestyle is, is, is pushing against the current culture and you're embarrassed. You're embarrassed that you go to church. You're embarrassed that you're... What is Jesus calling you to do? Because when he calls you to follow me, sometimes that may mean you don't look as cool or as trendy. It may look like spitting mud on your face. The second thing is not only we might look silly, is sometimes the follow me of Jesus is a calling into deeper waters. So it might not just be that it looks silly, it may actually be a stretch. I don't mind following Jesus in the safety of the shore where, the, where I can touch the bottom of the, of the ocean, of the, of the Sea of Galilee, that's fine. But don't call me out deeper, don't call me to give more of my time or my resources or, or my finances. Don't call me to live a, a certain way with my thoughts or, or, or my physical... Don't do that because that's too deep. Shallow Christianity. But sometimes the call to follow me is Jesus is going to call you to deeper waters. And maybe this morning you know that, you feel that, that Jesus is calling you into a deeper relationship into deeper waters. I don't know your story or your situation. You do, and you know that Jesus is saying, you need to go out deeper, mate. There needs to be, and we come back to that, that second week. What's the second week? It's all about trust. Trusting you with the past, present, and future. Are there areas of your life that you need to hand over to Jesus? Because they're in the shallow, they're not in the deep. Trust, trust trust. I remember, oh gee, it's going back 20 years ago and um, I used to run uh, this lunchtime program in, in schools and it was called Student Focus and I remember we, I did the training with Youth Dimensions, we went and did the training and so what, would, what it would be is a lunchtime at high school, the kids would come to a classroom and you'd play fun games and then you'd, you'd share a message about Jesus, okay? They love the fun games and the lollies. The message about Jesus, you were working hard, okay? So, so I did the training for that, and the, the part of the training was we went to a school to, to, to do it. And we, we went to Balga Senior High School. What a great school to be welcoming to share about Jesus to. And so, so on the day, they said my role was to do the games. And I was like, oh, everyone, the, the games are the fun bit. The kids love the games. But then when we got there, the person who was doing this, you had to learn everything. The person who had to do the God story couldn't make it. And they're like, oh, so Anthony, you can do the God story today. Are you serious? That's not the cool bit. That's, they're not going to listen. Here I was, first time. A little Italian boy. Just became a Christian, lunchtime at Balga Senior High School. Talk about deeper waters. And, and the, the lesson was such a corny thing. It was, um, remember Pepsi Max? The, the object lesson was Jesus wants us to live life to the max. And uh, yeah, I heard someone laugh. It was pretty corny, eh? Um, and so here I was. I was like, I just want to do the game. But Jesus was calling me to deeper waters. So I had to get up and it was a gym full of... They don't have to be there. 
It's in lunchtime. There's no, there was no, I don't even think there was any teachers. They were cool for the game. And they're, oh, we're going to have this talk about Jesus. And I get up and I do this talk about Jesus and Max, Pepsi. And, and the whole time I was just absolutely nervous and scared. And, and actually went really well. And I sold after the, the, the talk about eight uh, cans of Pepsi for $3. No, it was, it was, but it was a deepening moment for me. And then I went on and did it and, and to the point where I get to preach every week. So, so those deepening moments may be something that Jesus is going to call you to do something more long-term. But we want to step into them. Because generally at the end of them, there's this big boat full of fish. Now, it doesn't mean you get rewarded with money or, or any, but there's, there's a blessing in that you get to, to, to be walking in the calling of Jesus. So sometimes he wants you to go to a deeper water. Is he calling you to deeper waters today? Anyone can live Christianity when they are in control. They've got both feet on the bottom of the, of the shore or the floor, the sand. And that's fine. You don't have to trust Jesus. But when you're at Balga Senior High School with 300 kids, you have to trust Jesus. Trust me. Whatever your situation is, maybe Jesus is saying, you, you can't do this on your own. I've called you to deeper waters, trust me. And so we get those two points of, of, of um, being countercultural, but also calling to deeper waters. When the big load of fish came, they celebrated. Then they also fell at Jesus' feet and repented. And then we get these final words. This is what we see here. It says this. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Here comes the mission. He didn't say we're going to set up a fish and chip shop. He didn't say you've got enough food now, you, can, you don't have to do anything, maintenance mode. He gives him a mission. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. You think that's exciting. You think that's cool. Wait till you see what we're going to do. We're going to fish for, for people's souls, for their lives. So they can live life to the max. I'm sure he would have done that, but he didn't. But we're going to fish, we're going to, we're going to fish for people. And then, and then Luke says, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and they followed him. So we don't get the direct command, he'll follow me, but we get this, from now on you will fish for people. That's the focus. There's a new catch. The new catch is, is people. It's people. It's not so much about ceremonies and things that we eat and keeping things clean and, 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 and the certain 600 plus commandments. It's about people, rescuing people. And actually, what's, what's so cool about that is actually, the, even in the, in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all the nation, it actually says that I will be with you. But even in the, the, the command, uh, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is saying, I will make you, I will teach you, I will train you, I will show you, I will lead you. I think that's really encouraging because he does the work. Now, we have to be willing, we have to be obedient to look silly and go into deeper waters. But guess what? God knows where the what are. The fish. He knew where the fish was. He knew exactly where they were and he said, put your nets there, pull it up. All our responsibility is, is to drop the nets. We're not responsible if, if they come up full or not. The only thing that we are called to do is follow and fish. Follow and fish. That's all we have to do. 
We don't want to just focus on the aquarium. Our role is to be obedient and do the fishing. Um, uh, the danger is that we stop fishing. The danger is we, we forget about that command to be fisher of people, to be, to be rescuers. We become like the Californian. We turn off the lights, as in the church lights, and, and, and we go to sleep. No, we're mission, mission, mission. I want to end with this last story. It actually comes from uh, a book by uh, Max Licardo and uh, in his book, the, In the Eye of the Storm. And I want to read this to you. This is a little story about how he went fishing. And uh, he makes a really good point. Let's, let's, let me read this to you. Uh, he says, when I was in high school, our family used, I used to fish every year during spring break. One year, my brother and my mum couldn't go. So dad let me invite a friend. I asked Mark. He was a good pal and a, and a great sport. He got permission from his parents and we began planning our trip. Good old fishing trip. Days before leaving, we uh, could already anticipate the vacation. Uh, we could feel the sun warming our bodies as we floated in the boat. Uh, we could feel the yank of the rod and, and hear the spin of the reel. That sounded all right. As we wrestled the white bass into the boat and we could smell the, the fish frying in an open skillet over an open fire. We could hardly wait. Days uh, passed like cold molas molasses. Finally, spring break arrived. We loaded our camper and set out for the lake. We arrived late at night, unfolded the camper and went to bed, dreaming of tomorrow's day in the sun. But during the night, an unseasonably strong northerly blew in. I got cold fast, or it got cold fast. The wind was so strong that we could barely open the camper door the next morning. Anyone been on one of those trips? <laughs> the sky was grey. The lake was a mountain range of white-topped waves. There was no way we could fish in that weather. No problem, we said. We, we, we'll spend the day in the camper after all. We have Monopoly. We have uh, Reader Digest. Great. We, have all, uh, we all know a few jokes. It's not what we came to do, but we'll make the best of it and we will fish tomorrow. So huddled in the camper with a Coleman stove and Monopoly board, we three fishermen passed the day indoors. The hours passed slowly, but they did pass. Night finally came. We crawled into the sleeping bag, dreaming of fishing. We were in for a surprise the next morning. It wasn't the wind that made the door hard uh, to open. It was the ice. We, we, we tried to be cheerful. No problem, we mumbled. We can play Monopoly again. We can uh, reread the stories in Reader's Digest. And surely uh, we know another joke or two. But as courageous as we tried to be, it was obvious that some of the grey had left the sky and entered our camper van. I began to notice a few things I hadn't seen before. I noticed that Mark had a few personality flaws. He was a bit too cocky about his opinions. He was easily irritated and constantly edgy. He couldn't take any constructive criticism, even though his socks did stink. Uh, he didn't think it was my business to tell him. Just looking out for the best interests of my dad's camper, I defended, uh, expecting dad to come to my aid. But dad just sat over in the corner reading. <laughs> I thought, where is he when I need him? And then I began to see dad in a different light as well. 
when I mentioned to him that the eggs were soggy and the toast was burnt, he invited me to try my hand at the portable stove. Touchy, touchy, I said to myself. Nothing like being cooped up in a camper with someone to help you see his real nature. It was a long day. It was a long, cold night. When we awoke the next morning, the sound of sleet slapping the canvas, we didn't even pretend to be cheerful. We were flat out grumpy. Mark became more of a jerk with each passing moment. I wondered what spell of ignorance I had must have uh, uh, been in when I invited him. Dad couldn't do anything right. I wondered how someone so irritable could have such an even-tempered son. We sat in misery the whole day. Our fishing equipment still unpacked. The next day was even colder. We're going home, were my father's first words, and no one objected. I learned a hard lesson that week. Not about fishing, but about people. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. Isn't that interesting? When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. When energy intended to be used outside is used inside, the result is explosive. Instead of casting nets, we cast stones. Instead of helping hands, we point accusing fingers. Instead of being fishers of the lost, we become critics of the saved. Rather than helping the hurting, we hurt the helpless. When those are called to fish, don't fish, they fight. Lakeside, individually, we're all called to be fishers of people. Collectively, we are called to be fishers of people. We're called not to be in maintenance mode, to be keepers of the aquarium, but to be mission mode, sharers of the gospel. Because when we don't fish, we fight. Let's hold on to the words of of Jesus. Come follow me. Because when we're called to follow, uh, it means we, we know that he trusts us, that we have to trust him with our past, present and future that we walk with Jesus because that's the new method. The new classroom is the walking and getting alongside. And the new catch is to catch people, to rescue people, to point people to Jesus. We are fishermen. May we not forget that. Even if we have to look silly and stupid, even if it means we have to go out into deeper waters that may be scary, like, so we want to be, and you want to be. I'm not here anymore in a week. The forefathers have been people, is that what you call them, forefathers? Who, who, who were mission focused, who weren't afraid to go into deeper waters, who weren't afraid to look silly in some ways, a church running a rec center. Doesn't make sense. May you continue that. May you continue to be people who are bold, who aren't afraid to go into deeper waters, who aren't afraid to look silly with the goal of catching as much fish that God would fill up your nets with. Because remember, our role, your role, is just to be obedient, to cast the nets. He's the one that fills them. Amen.
Let's pray. Most gracious Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for that beautiful, beautiful uh, invitation to follow. Father, help us to be followers in all areas of our life. Father, maybe there's, there's someone here today that you're asking to be uh, countercultural, to push against the, the, the culture, to, to, to stand out in the crowd, not in a weird or, or argumentative way, but just in a, in a Jesus way. Lord, I, I pray that you would give them that courage that they need to do that. Or Father, maybe there's someone here this morning that you are calling to step out into deeper waters and they're scared. Maybe starting a business, it may be reconciling a relationship, it may be inviting someone to church. I don't know, Lord, but you're calling them into deeper waters. Lord, may they remember your words, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Father, may we be people individually and collectively that follow you, that aren't in maintenance mode, but are in mission mode, that we would cast our nets wherever you call us to do it. We ask this and pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Let's stand and sing this last song.